On today's show is Richard Kelly. Richard has a master's in government and public policy and knows more about how local government works than most people, including those working in it. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Fiona. The reason, Richard Kelly, that you are here today, and thank you for joining me on the show, really delighted that you're here, is to help me explain, no no mean feat, but how local government works and maybe doesn't work and what we can do to actually improve it. So maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in in politics and, and in actually formally studying it. I suppose just to go back to when I first became interested in politics, it's probably in my family blood. Um, my my mom is a Fitzgerald and she's a distant relation to Gareth Fitzgerald, the XT shock. Um, so it's it's in the blood. It's there. Um, I suppose maybe I was destined to have an interest in it. Um, but I suppose from a local government point of view, um, I first became interested in that probably around 15, when I was age 15, 16, towards the late 1990s. And um, in that time, I suppose it was the the internet was beginning to become available and all, all those things. And I suppose from my point of view, from a very early time around then, I started taking an interest in local government, watching planning applications that would come in in my locality, checking the planning website every day. And I suppose that's really where my interest started from um, in, in local government. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's kind of developed since then. Um I suppose coming down to my studies, um, I have a degree in public management, which I've done in the IPA in Dublin. That gave me a more holistic view of the public sector um, in Ireland. Um, and also, I suppose, it gave me an, an in, intro into kind of some more economic and social aspects of, of society in Ireland. Um, I took a few years break and then in 2016, I commenced a research master's in UCC um, in government and public policy. And my thesis was on locating local government reform in the wider context of public sector reform and how the influence of new public management, I suppose, came about and influenced those reforms in Ireland and, I suppose, in many Western societies. Um, So from a young age, from my early teen years, that's where my interest has grown. And I suppose local government really is my passion. Um, And that's, I suppose, how I ended up studying it and becoming, I wouldn't say an expert, but becoming knowledgeable um, of, of, of the sector. And I think it's probably fair to say as well that, that you're, you're very civic minded, you're very involved in, in the, the, the community as well, obviously from the, the lessons that you, that you learned through your, through your family genes or, or whatever. And you also trained in UCC, which is the centre for uh, local govern- yeah. local and national governance and you trained am I, am I right in saying that you studied under Aid Quinlevin? Yeah, Dr A Quinlevin was my um, supervisor for my thesis um, a brilliant man to me probably one of the best and most knowledgeable people in Ireland on local government matters in Ireland um, he really is knowledgeable and I owe a lot to him um, for completing my research great advice, great support um, great guidance um, and to be able to count on his knowledge during some testing times, as you know, when you're doing some research, yeah. um, being able to count on someone like him um, to provide guidance, um, it was invaluable um, for, from from my point of view. Um, but yeah, you're correct. I, I would have done the course trained in um, the Centre for Local and Regional Governance, which is now, I think, in its third or fourth year, it's in its fourth year. And Aquilunan is the director of that um, centre and they're kind of looking into studying and does great work does yeah. great work yeah. Um, yeah so um 
Really. And he's very active on social media for anybody who wants to to follow him and the, the work that he's doing around uh, government reform or local government reform, etc. as as well. And I, I think it's probably uh, not an offense. I don't intend to offend by saying that we're both probably a little bit nerdy then around the importance of local government. And I know you and I had a conversation, I don't know if you recall, some time ago, maybe three or four years ago now, you know, shortly after I got involved in local politics and I, I really wanted to sort of shake people and say, listen, you really need to know and engage with what's going on in the council. Like this really, really impacts on your lives. You know, this isn't something other that's happening over in the council and is in unconnected to you. You know, the decisions that people are taking, not just the, the elected persons, but unelected persons are taking you know, will impact on you. And remember at the time we talked about, um, you know, maybe doing some workshops with, with young people, you know, to try and get people exercised about why local government <coughs> matters. And um, I suppose this is our, our opportunity now. Maybe we should just try and explain to people now, why does local government matter? How does it impact on people's lives? Yep. Well, I suppose for only the first thing to say is why, you know, how does, why does local government matter? As you said, every decision, everything in your daily lives is affected by either central government or local government. And in certain areas, in areas such as planning, in roads and transportation, in your, your parks, your local parks, playgrounds and so on, these are all things that have been implemented by local government. Um, they have come about by decisions um, from local councillors, from local elected officials and council officials. And by council officials, I mean the permanent civil service of local government, so to speak. Um, so when people say local government doesn't matter, it does. Um, it obviously has its problems, but in all our lives, in our daily lives, it, it can be seen all around us, whether that's parking regulations on Main Street in Newbridge, for example. Um, as I said, playgrounds, um, your new estate might be built across the road from you. These are all decisions that have occurred and because of decisions have to happen, sorry, at, at local government level. So it does very much impact on everyone's daily lives. Um, so, you know, it's... Whether it, people's children can cycle to school safely or not, or whether they have local link public transport, or it, it, it really does have a, have a massive impact on people's lives. And I suppose... One of the themes probably arising from from today's discussion will probably have be how frustrated I am at how difficult it is as a an elected representative to actually make an impact and, and get decisions taken. But participation, being involved, acting as oversight is better than sitting back and sort of taking a lazy fair approach and just saying, Asher, sure, look at they're all the same, just let them have at it. So let's have a go at trying to explain to people um what can be done. So what we think is working, what's not working and 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 how we can we can improve things in, in local government. First of all, do you do you want to just explain a little bit about how things have changed from the nineties, for example, and, and whether those reforms, what impact they have had? Yeah. So I suppose public sector public sector reform and local government reform have gone hand in hand since the nineteen nineties. There's kind of been two major periods where reforms have occurred. Um, and in my thesis, I categorise them into the Celtic Tiger period and then the economic crisis period. 
But um, to go back to the Celtic Tiger period from the mid-90s to the mid to late 90s, um, local government reform was done under the banner of better local government. And essentially what that brought into local government was a constitutional recognition of local government in Ireland in 1999. It it ultimately led to the establishment of um, strategic policy committees, otherwise known as SPCs, to those elected councillors that that may be listening in. And it also led to the creation of um, director of services positions within um, local government itself. Um, So there was quite a range in cosmetic changes to local government in in, in Ireland at at that time. That coincided, I suppose, in the wider public sector, that coincided with the introduction of freedom of information um, um, and new management changes within the public and local government sector. So So explain that just a little bit, the new management changes. Is that what you're talking about in terms of value for money? Performance indicators. What exactly yes. are we talking about? Yes. Jeff? So from from the mid nineties, um, under the strategic management initiative, which I suppose again, just to go back to the very start, I know it sounds quite complicated, but it's not. It's not really. But the strategic management initiative was um, an initiative by secretary generals of government departments um, to implement reforms in the public sector, and within those, I suppose, recommendations that um, the secretary generals made. Um, some of them recommendations were freedom of information um, to increase openness and transparency and accountability within the public sector. Um, also some changes in respect of um, strategy statements. All public sector organisations needed to produce strategy statements for, for three years duration. Um, so in that context, I suppose, the changes were quite wide range and before that you have to remember in the public sector and local government sector there was no requirement for strategy statements there was there was no freedom of information there was no um management changes there was no kpis key performance indicators or anything like that that was that was there um so these changes in in the mid 90s brought all these along and brought these changes into the public sector so it brought in measurements effectively with the key performance indicators so key yes. performance indicators are basically just a way of being able to if what, what you can't measure doesn't get done it you know if you can measure it you can actually know that the that there is progress uh, and i definitely think that freedom of information was was a huge change and is is hugely valuable as a as a mechanism definitely within the the not just within local authorities, but all statute set up bodies or whatever. But um, the the thing that I would say about freedom of information is that it's forced transparency. It's not that organic growth of a culture of transparency that you would hope to have seen since since the 1990s. But it is probably one of the most positive things that has that has come out of of those changes. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, I definitely would agree. Um, it's it's a welcome addition, um, I suppose, in, in, in one context. But, you know, it, it, does it do what it should do for the citizens? I think it's probably more used from media and, and journalists and so on rather yeah. than citizens. So I think there there's an, an issue there um, in respect of who it's been used, why it's been used. Um, and I think certainly it could have been better. Um, 
it still could be better. And, and um, it is a, a drain on, on the resources, but I, st- I still think, you know, I think democracy has a cost and I think it's very definitely worthwhile. And, and actually, I think it's something that's not used enough by citizens as opposed to the, the media. I mean, I've, I've had to use FOIs myself in the council, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. I've had to use them about approved housing bodies, which I can talk about later. But um, I, you know, I think citizens should actually familiarise themselves with freedom of information. And actually, again, they could look to somebody like Ken Fox is, is a journalist who advises people around freedom of information. And he has a one liner at the top of his Twitter account account in terms of what you need to say it's not complicated it is straightforward you just clarify what you're looking for the more specific you can be the better address it to the head of the of the organization and tell them how you want it whether it's by email or hard copy etc it is very straightforward and there's no cost and if there is something that really exercises you it is something that is open to everybody if they feel they're not getting the information that they are looking for you know yeah. so um yeah i would advise people to look into that as an option more along with other things like asking your counselor to put in a, a formal question so you know many people ask me lots of questions you know about like this week for example when is the cycle lane being being repaired you know they might ask about planning in the area they've heard that something is happening or or not if counselors can't come back to you or aren't coming back quickly enough informally uh, or they're not getting the information quick enough they can always put in a formal question um that they can ask on your behalf and then obviously different people have social media channels now councils are on um social media and i know you'd have thoughts about who's doing that well or who's not doing that that well but this is all continued progress really since the 90s that sort of has evolved from the freedom of information i think the freedom of information has sort of educated people that they are entitled to the information from these bodies these bodies are spending public funds it is your money it is your information you're you're entitled to it but there are loads of other different ways emerging now um in which consumers effectively the the constituents can get in contact with the with the councils directly who's doing that that well do you think yeah, I think when you look nationally at some councillors, um, you can see, for example, I know he's now an MEP, but Kieran Cuff, for example, a member of the Green Party in Dublin City Council, he's excellent at um, engaging in social media and getting through the messages yes. of that what he's been doing at Dublin City Council, but yeah. not also what he's been doing, what kind of issues are coming up or what projects are ongoing in Dublin City Council. So he's he's used um, his Twitter account to, to great effect to promote obviously himself um but again to promote local government um and yourself Fiona you know you're very much engaged on on Twitter <laughs> and on Facebook um and all the social media channels giving daily updates on the work that you've been doing some of the issues that you've been getting um and I think that all adds to greater I suppose interest by the electorate in in local government and I think you and Kieran Kofa and and others um shouldn't forget that and you know you should be aware that you're making a contribution to actually making local government more visible um to the general population um because at the end of the day we all want people to be engaged um in politics and to be honest with you local government and local politics is is the first arm where people should be engaged and in the context of you know, globalisation or nationalism and all things that's going on in the world, the best and most effective place for change is locally. 
Yeah. And, and and I think we shouldn't forget that. And certainly local and with the, and with the people. I, I would absolutely agree with you on that, because I think we're living in very interesting times. now. I mean, even when I ran for 2014, really Facebook had only come in in the, the previous election and they were starting to see correlations between people who had gotten elected in 2000 and what was the, the one before that? 2009. Um, you know, and and the fact that, you know, it was no longer about websites or, you know, you, it's become less and less reliant on local media and why, you know, our local media are doing the best that they can with diminishing resources. But if you look at the issue, for example, of uh, I had a question in, was it in 2017 or 2018, because I was interested in why it has been so difficult to get local media interested in issues of paramount, what I felt were paramount importance, you know, so organisations, just for example, like the Kildare Wicklow Education and Training Board that I was on the board of, no media at our public meetings, such that the board members of the KWETB, to which I was nominated because I was a, a councillor, so I was a councillor representative to that board. The meetings were held in Kildare County Council. And on council days, you would have members of the media at full council meetings, but you would not have them at the education and training board meetings. And they are spent, you know, what, what hit me was that they were spending millions of euros, you know, the, so they were spending, you know, I think last year was the, the budget 135 million, something along those lines. And there was no sense of any oversight whatsoever, you know, that there was no sense of even these meetings being public. And I really realized, you know, no matter how few there are in the gallery, it's actually really, really important to have at least one pe person in the gallery, whether it's media or a member of the public, to remind people, whether it's councillors in the council or board members on a public board, that actually this is a public meeting, you know, for, for a reason kind of thing. But I actually had to go to national media. And this was actually before you know, we, we knew anything, any of the issues that emerged later, but just there was a lot of red flags in terms of, of governance, you know, in terms of unwillingness to answer answer questions. There was a, a very closed organisation mentality and, and, and culture. And I I could not understand how I could not get local media to the, to the, the meetings, but their resources are so tight. They're just, you know, it, they're, they're and they're getting tighter. So they're really struggling to keep up, even to get people to the, to the, the council meetings. But um, it actually took going to a national media to, you know, and not disclosing anything that shouldn't have been disclosed, but literally just saying, are you aware that there are education and training boards around the country? These are public meetings. They're spending billions over the term of a, of a council term, we'll say. Um, you know, so that whole issue of the the local media, the other another point I just want to make about about local media because I do think it's relevant in terms of the restraints that are on them. Uh, I I had put in the 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 question in two thousand and seventeen, I think it was about how much the council had spent on local media. And it was something like three hundred thousand, you know, either in the year or across two years or something like that. Three hundred thousand on now. I'll correct that if I'm if I'm way out, but it was something around three hundred thousand on both local and national. If you add up all of the councils that are spending that amount of advertising on the couple of national papers that we have and 
that amount of money on local media that's real, you know, almost dependent on it. If you put it together with maybe that spend again, but certainly a significant spend from education and training boards, you can see the difficult position that they are in. If these are two of their biggest funders of their of their their media, uh, you know, actually really going after them or being overly critical. And I don't mean that to sound, you know, really narky about the, the local media. I don't. I actually mean it as it's as it's intended, which is that I actually understand the restraints that are on them. And actually, it was one of the reasons why I would have been supportive of them getting funding from national government if there was a way of being able to do that independently. So not if if you don't behave, you're not getting the money from, from national government, but if there was an independent body set up that could help fund local media, because I do think it's really, really important. But that said, they have the the restraints that they that they have and the diminishing resources. So it's but with Facebook and the emergence of new social media, that has become a really powerful way to connect directly with constituents. Um, Because again, you know, and I'm not talking, you know, around the country, local media can be very politically affiliated one way, one way or another. And if they don't like you, they don't like you. And it doesn't matter, you know, your picture isn't getting in, your press release isn't getting in. Uh, and I'm 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 talking about papers around the the country, and if you know, you know, if a politician, I know politicians that know photographers very well, or grew up beside journalists, and and they were and can get into the papers very easily. And when that was the sole source of information for constituents, um, you know, news could be very skewed. Whereas with councillors' own social media channels now. You know, it's up to them what they say and do. And, it's, and you know, and it's an accountable um, platform as well. You know, people can come back and find what you've said, you know, five, five years, years ago, ago or two years ago or whatever and say, hang on a second, you've changed your mind on this or you said something completely, completely different. So I do think it is hugely uh, important. And I have to say, I really enjoy connecting with people directly um, the only problem is, and I suspect with Kieran Cuff as well, I really admire him because the workload is so heavy that actually when you're at your busiest and when it, the work is probably of most interest to constituents is when you have the least amount of time to be able to to be able to to post. But um, just wanted to go into that one in a little bit more more detail. Absolutely. And just to add to, to that, Fiona, in talking about local media and local print media, I think... In, again, in the context of what's going on in, around the world, populism and so on and so forth, local media and media itself has a role to play in providing a level playing field for arguments, for, you know, for and people's a different point perspective. of view, perspectives yeah. and so on and so, so forth. So they should not forget their role in, in that sense, that if they play a very important role, they should be playing a very important role. And if in some sense um, they're favouring one side or one part of the political system over others that that's kind of incredibly unfair and they're actually doing a disservice to um the electorate really um because the electorate at the, at the end of the day can only make decisions based on the information that they have in hand and if they don't have full information then we're potentially going on the road of them not making the right decisions if that makes sense yeah. um so local media print media you know or your local newspaper 
still is a very important role to play, and 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 but they should be doing it at the utmost, um, I suppose, part of fairness and and a fa- and fairness to all that that's been involved, that's actively involved in in politics and in the locality. So, and I think it's absolutely a fair point. I think, but people are people, though. I think, and and I think you know journalists live amongst our communities you know and 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 do make friendships and 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 all the rest like I mean I know I know I've certainly experienced myself where I've been at you know public events and I might be the only public representative that is not included in a in a photograph now you know at this stage I just kind of laugh at it you know but it is amazing how something like that you know just a photographer that is you know connected to somebody uh, can make sure that one person is not in any photos being fed to a to a local newspaper. But as I said, you know the the impact of that is definitely diminished by um, the whole social media side of things. But I absolutely agree with you. I think it's a stronger um, local traditional media that that we need. But I think that debate will will continue past past absolutely. here. Um, I, I do want to ask you to explain to people as well. I remember when I when I got elected and, and people were asking me, oh, you know, a whole range of, of different questions. And I remember thinking, God, people think the council opens up to you like a library when you when you get elected, you know, that you sort of own the council, you know, or, you know, you are all powerful now. Um, do you want to talk through a little bit about the difference between the elected representatives in the council and what we call the executive. And by the way, I just want to clarify for people, because sometimes when you're in politics, you forget, you know, how you use language and that sort of stuff. So local authorities covers county councils, city councils, etc. But it's the same thing, local authorities, county councils. That's what we're talking about. And within that, then you have the elected representatives, which are your councillors and you have the executive. Take it from here. <laughs> Perfect. So the executive, Fiona, is the it's the permanent civil service of local authorities of your county council. So these um, 99% of occasions, um, these are permanent staff, um, not on fixed terms um, that carry out, that are supposed to carry out um, decisions that have been made by the elected officials. When we refer to elected officials, that's who me, Joe Bloggs on the street, votes at election time every five years. When we refer to elected officials, that's what we're talking about, um, commonly known as councillors, local councillors. So when we're referring to those two statements, that's what they are. The, the elected officials or the councillors, really their job in theory is supposed to be to hold the permanent staff members of, of the county council to account. Um, it's also, I suppose, to initiate policy um, and it's up then to the county council, the permanent staff members of the county council, to implement policy. Um, but as you well know, Fiona, um, I think the reality oh, is smiling You can probably hear that smile. <laughs> but the reality is far different. Yeah. Um, I think what we're seeing, and you can probably expand on this now in a moment. But what we really are seeing is that the council, the permanent staff members within the county council will come up with initial proposals, generally, more often than not, initial budgets um, in a wide range of areas, and then present, um, I suppose, a draft of policy proposal or a draft budget um, for councils then, or for councillors then to discuss um, and ultimately vote on. But their influence within that um, is probably limited. And I'm not in the council, I'm not elected official, so I kind of haven't got the full right to say that you'll probably be able to shed some light on it. But in theory, just from a very yeah. simple level, 
elected officials, councillors, it's their job in theory to be policy proposers, um, oversight over regulation and so on. And then it's up to the, the council officials, i.e. the permanent staff members, to implement those decisions um, and, and policies of, of elected councillors. But again, and, you're and probably best placed to shed more light on that. And, and you're absolutely correct, correct in, in that. And, you know, and that is, you know, I, I was looking through... Uh, information that that new councillors got i won't be able to to find it now but information that new councillors got um you know earlier in the year after the the election and you know it was that communication of you know it's your role to set the policy and the chief executive acts within the confines of of that policy actually it's very very difficult uh to change policy in the in the the council even though it's a really important role but the Policy and finance, so that relates to county development plans, the annual budget, for, for example, and, and 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 that's the 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 policy side of it. Now, in reality, now there have been incidences, but the budget rarely uh, is not passed in the in the council. And this is a bugbear of mine. And I've come to you and said, "How do I get more, you know, insight into how do I get more influence in the in the annual budget?" Because you know, you get headline budget figures that, you know, what's constantly said to you is, you know, if you want a BMX park, for example, and you want to build that, now we're being offered a free one at the moment, but I won't go, won't go into that, but just say you had to pay for it and they said, okay, you have to find a budget for that. You have to go and find that from a budget line elsewhere. Now that makes sense, except that we're not given enough detail on budget lines to know what is behind them. So I always give the example of last year, um, it being highlighted to me that the um, Rose of Tralee was getting, or, or no, that the, the, the Rose of Tralee had Kildare County Council logo up um, during the, the transmission. Now, I hadn't seen it, but somebody brought it to my attention and said, how is Kildare County Council's logo on the, the Rose of Tralee? Now, it took some time to find out, but that we had actually paid €15,000 for the benefit of having Kildare County Council's logo up on the Rose of Tralee. Look, fantastic competition for anybody that's 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 into it or interested in it or whatever, but I felt I, as a councillor, had not been consulted on that kind of a, a decision. Now, it's it's €15,000, but at the time, which a lot of people might say, that's not that much money. You got, you know, promotion from for Kildare County Council. Now, how that helped us in terms of our corporate objectives, even with my marketing hat on, I can't really fully explain. But at the time, I had been lobbying and lobbying hard for webcasting to be introduced. And what kept being thrown in my face, one of the, the, the big arguments against it was cost. And the cost was about €15,000 a year after the, the initial setup. But I had no visibility that there was 15000 somewhere in the budget that... They had the discretion to give to the Rose of, of Tralee or more recently to buy, um, well, to donate basically to two local, two very deserving fundraising charities, one of whom I'm, I'm involved with myself. But again, I was shocked to find out that money had been donated to, to the charities uh, and, and what I'm trying to figure out again, what the function of local government is and what role I had as a councillor where I was finding this out 
in the community and not being advised of it in the in the council. So how can I, as a councillor, how can any councillor have an influence over a budget into which we can't drill down or see the details so that we can say, actually, I want that 15,000 over there transferred from the Rose of Tralee into safe cycle lanes for you know, a local school. Now, in, in reality, it would cost more than that, typically, for, for a cycle lane. But do you understand the, the point that I'm making? Yeah, I do, Fiona. And I think, I suppose, one has to look, in, in local government in general, one has to look at the powers and responsibility of, of the chief executive officer, otherwise previously known as county or city managers. And just to go back very briefly to when probably things changed, if you go back to 1929, when Cork City Council was dissolved um if if uh, hey, Quillen, might correct me on this um but cork city council was dissolved around 1929 and cork city was the first council in ireland that brought in the city manager type of local government the managed manager type of, of local government um it was dublin city council then uh, a few years later and then in 1940 1941 the county management act came in into place and this essentially put in place the county manager system, which we now refer to as the CEO. And from, I suppose, from my perspective, from my viewpoint, it's just my opinion, they have a lot of power. They have a lot of control over over um, council programmes, over council expenditure. They're ultimately accountable for it, but they're not accountable to, they're ultimately accountable to the, the minister and the department not really accountable to the elected um, officials. Um, they are to an extent, but ultimately the accountability goes to central government. And again, it all boils down to... And in reality, are they really accountable to anyone? Because my understanding is that, you know, chief executives and members of the County and City Managers Association aren't can't even be called in front of the Public Accounts Committee. There, there you have there, there you, you have know, it. You know, which um, is which is quite incredible given the budgets. I think it's over four billion a year that four, they that they spend. Four point seven billion in two thousand eighteen, probably close to. I didn't see the figures for two thousand nineteen, but probably close to five billion, and that's in current expenditure. I, I don't think that includes capital, which you know yeah. looks at your new road projects, yeah. your your new playgrounds, and all that all that kind of stuff. Um, so you're talking about a, you know an expenditure of, of roughly five billion, six billion, seven billion if you include capital expenditure. Um, and ultimately, chief executive officers of county councils or city councils, at the end of the day, they, they're, they're ones kind of rolling this out and have a lot of power that's unaccountable um, uh, to the electorate, really, you know. And for me, that's that's for me that I've always been interested in that. And it's always, I suppose, been a, been a bugbear of mine um, that yeah. they kind of have such an important role Um are they using it correctly? That's not for me to say. They have the authority um, have without the, authority. the accountability. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's an issue and it's kind of an issue. I've seen some viewers, some listeners, sorry, um, you know, you've heard the concept of directly elected mayors and so on, which in some jurisdictions around the world um, are rolling out or have rolled out. And, and you'll see in Ireland, Limerick City Council just voted this year to actually um, hold, they voted yes to... Um, uh, the, in a referendum, I suppose, to um, have a directly elected mayor for Limerick. So there may be kind of changes coming down the tracks, but um, where we are now, um, ultimately, it, it is the county and city managers who do hold a lot of sway. I, I think they, I, you know, I really thought that the directly elected mayors, I know we we disagreed on this to, to, to a certain degree, but 
I felt they really needed to fix the system that we had, you know, the people that are in place already before they started looking to to a new system. And the, the lack of accountability does concern me about chief executives. And again, without without, you know, be, being personal, but, you know, the experience that I hear back is, you know, it is meant to be this new model of the chief executive. And I know our own chief executive has said, you know, and you're like the board, I'm accountable to the to the board. But equally, they can be very dismissive of any questions asked in terms of I myself asked a question asked for a report from the chief executive from his participation in this county and city managers association group and this is a group of all the the chief executives of local authorities around around the country and again I suppose and this was a point I was going to raise earlier on between the theory of accountability and roles for the and power for 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 councillors versus the the reality and when I asked I remember the the lambasting that I got that day was one of the worst that I've ever had I've had three really really intense days believe it that's all in the in the council you know where you know you're listening to what's been said not by the person you're asking the question of and I always find this interesting but by other councillors who don't like you asking the questions. So you're asking for a report from the chief executive of your council back from the county and city managers association where they're going and presumably representing the local authority and you want to see, you know, they're going on on council time, on on taxpayers' money's time. Um, To be told that it was none of my business and that you're casting aspersions, they're they're normally the things that's thrown out if people don't want to answer questions. You know, you're casting aspersions or data protection, commercial sensitivity. They're they're normally the the things thrown out. But I remember walking away that day thinking, wow, that, you know, I wasn't expecting the attack to come from within. So from within the elected representatives who have an authority so we have an authority under the, the reserve functions to ask the chief executive to account for any of his of his business and his and his transactions. And I just got absolutely annihilated by and, and it was one of those where the gallery is full and you're thinking, oh, something's going on today because the gallery is never full. And then, you know, the parties are lined up to take a, a crack or whatever. And I never really got to the bottom of that. But I'm more interested now, as I always am when I get that sort of a response in trying to find out what does actually go on in the, the county and, and city managers uh, association. And and just on another point, when, when we were talking about, you know, the, the reserved functions, um, you know, there's there's a whole list of them. Now, it's too boring to read the, the whole lot of them out for people, but anything that's not a reserved function then is considered to be an executive function. So we're not allowed to ask anything about staff numbers, for example. Now, I think we should be allowed to ask about staff numbers. We're not looking to take control of hiring or firing or anything like that. And Kildare County Council has one of the lowest ratios per capita of staff to the number of people in the in the county, which is a huge issue for, for us locally. But to come back to the, the reserved functions, just to give people a little bit of an idea of, of what exactly they are, it's the adoption of the, the corporate plan which, as I was saying before, in our corporate planet aspires to transparency. I point to that all the time as not being adhered to. The disposal of land is one of our reserved functions. And yet, 
uh, I used to find it difficult to get details. You know, so when a piece of land was put in front of us and local business people or a constituent was being leased a piece of land, you know, to ask a question about, well, who who did the evaluation or, you know, how much is this for or why or how long is this in place? Or I actually asked for a full list of all the leases that we that we had in Kildare County Council. It took years that that's still ongoing. But actually, the Green Party came in recently and, you know, it's 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 almost treated as a perfunctory thing at the beginning of business now, you know, the disposal or, or lease of, of land. And um, the head of the Green Party, Vincent Martin, said, actually, this is one of our reserved functions. You know, I, I want to know who has evaluated or, or done evaluation on the on the land and how much it is worth, etc. And I thought, yes, great. A, somebody who knows what our reserved functions are and B, who somebody realises the importance of them. You know, that it's not just I get on with it and don't be looking for, for trouble kind of thing, which you, which you do get um, all the time. The other one then, as I said, was the adopting of the of the budget. And I've obviously made my my feelings known about that. And then the making or amending or revoking of bylaws. And I'll just give you a little example um, recently. Uh, and I actually have it up on my Facebook page at the, the moment, because when I get exas- exasperated in terms of trying to do something that you feel should be simple enough, uh, I tend to go on Facebook and show sort of the effort that goes into try and, and doing it. And that is around trying to get releases of fire lanterns and balloons banned at the moment. And the toing and froing that is going on in terms of getting legal advice, being told by the legal advisors that yes, it is, yes, it is within the authority of the council to be able to do this. Me following up saying, yay, that's great. Let's go. And then it's like, well, OK, it takes a long time to introduce bylaws. And then it's like, well, can we go someplace else? Has somebody else got the bylaws set up that we don't have to start from scratch? Yes. Great idea, Fiona. We'll go off. I'm going to talk to my counterpart in, in Wicklow. They go off, they talk to the counterpart in, in Wicklow. You come back a month later and say, how did that go with the counterpart in Wicklow? And it's like, back again. Oh, yes, well, they've something else to do in Wicklow, so they're going to be back. And it's this, and stuff can just be dragged out for months until people almost lose the will to live. And what I find is that I have so many of those balls in the air that... I'm realizing the power of delay in politics over the last few years. Delay is everything. Delay is a deliberate strategy. I'm not saying it is in in that regard, because I do believe that the director is, that's engaging with me is genuinely, you know, trying to, to help me with this. But, um, you know, the delay could end up in me giving up on it. Now, I won't, but lots of people do. Yeah. And I'd say it's, Sometimes that's probably the intention of of the the council, the permanent, the civil service of the, of the council, the delay tactic. So that certain decisions, certain spending commitments, maybe don't have to be made in the immediate future. You know, that's and again, I was as boils back to the budgetary process and the kind of input that councillors have in it. If there was more of an input from from councillors into the budget process. Maybe these are things that could change um, going into the future. Um, but, but certainly, I think the lane tactic is certainly deliberate. I think I, I'd agree with you there, um, Fiona. Um, that's that doesn't come as a surprise, yeah. um, really. You know, to, to me. But um, yeah, no. It's, it's, so, so that's an example of a reserved function that isn't well. You know, that can be easily thwarted. And then on the other hand, 
where we're not actually meant to have a role people believe that we have. So that's housing. So do you want to explain to people a counsellor's role in relation to, to housing and, and getting people housing? Yeah, like it, it, from from my perspective, I suppose, the, the housing allocation, the social housing allocation, because that's when people go to the council, go for council assistance um, in, in provision of housing, social housing and so on and so forth. But it's usually down to, um, the again, the permanent staff members of the county council to allocate that those houses based on need and based on the housing list that they have. Um, so it's it's not a function really of of the elected officials. Um, they can take representations and, and, and so on, so people can write to their councillor and they can pass that on to the council. Correct. But it's honestly the councillor council or the elected official has no no real input into the decision in respect of getting so that. So you say, Richard. Well, this is the thing. This, this, yeah. And this is the thing. You know, I mean, here's where we're not meant to have a role. And yet yes. I constantly get this thing of go to ex-councillor or ex-TD if you want to get a house. And people being willing to give you examples of. I've tried to test that in the, in the council and I'm being told, but this is something I will definitely come back to again because I'm interested in the whole area of housing, in the whole area of approved housing, housing bodies and the lack of regulation of approved housing bodies, the involvement of, you know, there is a whole principle of remoteness in the council that councillors and, well, public representatives should not be involved in allocating the houses. Yes, you know, develop the policy, you know, who, what type of person should get a house first. Uh, and then step back and let that be done because obviously the potential for abuse is yeah. just ripe in allowing people who might get votes of the same people being involved in the decision of, of who gets a house. But that principle of remoteness from the actual allocation of the houses is undermined by the participation of public representatives on the boards of approved housing bodies, which I really disagree with. Absolutely. I couldn't, <laughs> to be honest with you, I couldn't agree more at that point. So we're on the same page on that. And I think that might be a, a standalone, a standalone piece that we might come back to and delve into a little bit more. Before we, we, we I don't want to depress people too much, you know, because, you, you know, I'm, I'm highlighting all the, the stuff that I find frustrating, etc. But there really is, there's a lot happening, you know, for me, Personally, you know, over the the last few years, every time I drive by the town hall, every time I drive by the, the skate park and see kids using it, I can't explain to people the feeling around having had any small part to play in in that. You know, it's very, very rewarding. So there, there you know, stuff is achievable. It is possible um, to get stuff done. The changing how it's how that happens is is a little bit more difficult and and uh, again maybe for another day sort of the intense journey that that I've had around that. But what do you think? I suppose to go back to our original questions, we've looked at you know how it works and how it doesn't work. What needs to change? Do you think um, to enhance and improve? local government and how it works. I think there's a few things that need to change. Um, obviously, during the course of my research, I would have interviewed a number of people within um, local government, within the wider public sector. 
And some of the responses I back, got back from the participants were, were quite interesting. Um, I, I think one of the things that perhaps could be looked into um, in, in the future is a full-time role for councillors. At the moment, as you know, Fiona, maybe the, most of the listeners aren't aware of this, but councillors and elected councillors are part-time, yet they're predominantly doing... Meant full, to be part-time. Meant yeah. to be part-time, but they're predominantly doing full-time hours and more. Um, and the demands being placed upon elected officials is growing. Um, you know, so I think there's something with regards to the future to look at is a full-time role for elected officials. If that means perhaps reducing um, the amount of elected officials in each um, local authority area, that could be an issue that, that that's worth looked at. But I think if you go down the road of having full-time elected officials elected on a five-year term, I think what you may get then is a far better reaction from council officials and by that I mean the permanent staff members who are in the council um, it also gives elected officials that clout that far more time um, if for some that maybe are pressed on time to actually involve themselves in more analytical work of the council and actually bring more better questions better you know better questions about accountability of the council so i think going full-time is certainly an option that should be looked at going into the future i know it's probably not going to happen anytime soon but it, i think it's something that really needs to be looked at we want to have a good local government local authority system um that's accountable and you know has better powers i think looking at full-time role is certainly a route that maybe we should go down i know it's pretty drastic and dramatic compared to where we've been for the last 70 80 90 years um but, but I, I think it's something that would be worth looking at and it can be linked to the certain grade within the overall civil public service so you know you're not talking about a massive increase in the cost of actually pursuing down mm. or going down this road but um, it, it's certainly one change I think that could happen and it probably should happen in, in certainly in, in, in the medium within the next five to ten years. I think that would bring that would bring big changes. Um, but around that, there, there, there's, there's other things, um, you know, give more powers to local authorities, give more powers to local elected officials. As you know, Ireland is among the weakest in respect. More power if accountability comes with us, Richard. Richard. Yeah. I absolutely agree with the more power as long as accountability yeah. certainly from from the research that i've done um one of the things that come up one of the recommendations that i would have made would have been around throughout the country standardizing the monthly management reports from from chief executive officers as you, as you know to produce um, monthly reports to all elected officials but there seems to be a kind of a, a wide-ranging discrepancy amongst different councils as to the kind of information and the amount of information they're provided um, and the questions that can just as you mentioned it, the questions that can be asked of it, I now have two. So I used to actually read the chief executive's report and 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 ask questions about it, and now I'm being told I have to submit those questions the week before in advance if I want to if I want to be able to ask the questions at the at the the meeting, Absolutely. which I think is a. It sort of usurps your your role because an awful lot of us are working to to deadlines might not get a chance to read the chief executive's report until the days before or even the night before we're we're going to to a meeting you know so um yeah accountability one, is i think certainly another recommendation would have been um about um the Lord Mayor's election of mayors of the county. And as you well know, you know, it, it changes each year. There's a new mayor elected to Kildare County Council each, each each year. During the research, it was 
more looking for reform. Some some of the suggestions were looking for reform in the way the mayors are elected. So if those that are top the poll in, in the county or those that top the poll in an area are the ones that are elected and are elected for more than just one year. So, you know, even if you're not going down the directly elected mayor route for yeah. some councils, having a Lord Mayor or a Mayor of the County Council um, for more than a one-year term gives some reform, I suppose, to the agenda that could be set um, but, but by that person. Um, so that, that's one area which we could look, look at as well. Um, so, you know, there are, there are options, um, uh, albeit so, quite yeah, limited yeah. and with limited no, powers. No, I, I, agree, I agree with you, you on know, that because, you know, we have had mayors of uh, districts over the last five years who weren't elected. So people were picked over and above, we'll say people like Councillor Joanne Pender, as I mentioned before, you know, who had done very well in the in the, the polls. I think I think she was one of the, the um, there was two or three of us that had, you know, gotten decent votes in the in the elections but people you know that had been deemed elected or people that were co-opted were actually put in as as mayors and Cahirlex and all the rest and I'm not saying that because I want to wear a chain around my neck I really really don't but I do think there's an argument for um no co-opted person who has not put themselves to a vote um, should be given the role of mayor either of the county, county or of a district in order to give them a profile to get them elected the next time by their by their parties. I just don't think that should happen. But look, there's loads more that we could delve into. We were we were wondering tonight, would we be able to fill forty minutes? I think we've gone we've gone over. But just to leave people with the you know, I just want to leave on 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 a positive note as well. Just. It is worthwhile, you know, some of the stuff that gets done is because, you know, a little bit like the skate park in Newbridge, because people get behind it, because people make it known to the council. They make it known to councillors. This is what we want. There really is support behind this. So it's back to that question. How do we get, you know, people involved and engaged? If you want to see change in your community, if you want to see improvements in your in your town, you know, make your feelings known, whether that's to your councillors, whether that's getting involved in the public consultations, whether it is putting in for a freedom of information request, showing that you are following something and that you actually care about the information that that isn't being put out in the in the public domain. And I'm thinking of all the uh, the other one is the webcasting. Let's hope, you know, we'll come back to that as a discussion again another day. You know, but hopefully webcasting is on the way in, in Kildare and that we're going to be council, is at number five out of 31 five, after yeah. 10 years? Um, you know, so so engage, do engage and engage with me and engage with all of your councillors on any of their, their social media chal- uh, channels and, and tell us good or bad, what we're doing right or, or wrong. Um, it, it all helps, definitely. So um, do you want to have the last word, Richard? I suppose, yeah, may, may as well, now that you get me. <laughs> that rarely happens with me, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> I feel privileged. I suppose, look, as you said, Fiona, um, local politics and local government is about getting people involved locally in the locality. Um, and there's many ways that can be done, as you just said, through social media, through contacting your representatives, um, you know, contacting the Council of Freedom of Information. The public consultations, you did mention that, and I think this is really one area in which us as citizens could probably do far more to get engaged in local 
in, in our local area. And the public consultations in respect to whether that's a local area plan or whether that's a traffic management plan that might be proposed, the more people you have engaged in that process, the better outcome you're going to get for your locality. Um, and give an example, if you look at Dublin at the moment, they're rolling out or they're in planning the Bus Connects plan. Um, that's been drastically changed because of extensive um, engagement mm. by the public. Um, so it just shows you, I think, that where you engage and where you engage in, in numbers and as a, as, a, as a collective, that can wield influence. And I think from our point of view at local politics, at local government level, for Newbridge, you know, if, where I'm from, I'd love people to engage more when it comes to these public consultations because it is a very good way of engaging in your locality and achieving a good outcome for you and the best outcome for, for, for the town and, and, and wider environs. So, you know, that's, that's, I suppose, my finishing parent statement. Uh, the the power is with the people is a, is a great <laughs> point to, to finish this on. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Fiona.